So this is a good thing to hit. I like that we do the single pane of glass. Like this stuff is probably a really good thing to hit. I hate using that term though. It just makes people groan. I mean, yeah. what I would really say is, is look, VicFix is an endpoint management solution and we can talk about what endpoint management, you know, what does that mean today? So I was actually going to start from an even more basic point. So Ooh, yes, let's hear it. Whenever people ask me, what do I do? Like, like I'll, you know, hop in an Uber and they'll be like, what do you do? Of course, I haven't done that in like a year. Uh, but <laughs> but when that when such a situation were happened to occur and I am traveling somewhere, which has not happened, uh, and someone asks, what do I what do you do? And my answer is, well, I work in software and the product that I work on is called Big Fix. And what it does is allows you to install Firefox on like 10,000 machines all all at once in like you know seconds to minutes and that and that's how i convey to someone who has no idea what big fix is who has no idea who i am you know doesn't really know or care about endpoint management has nothing to do with enterprise software at all just some random person's like hey what do you do and it's like well i work on this thing and that's what it does you know it allows you to make changes to 10,000 plus computers in you know seconds to minutes that's how i convey what i do yeah i always tell people because most of my family is like not software or anything like that and i always tell them okay so you know how you get this updates to microsoft once a month so the tool that i the tool that i work on or work with coordinates that same process for lots and lots of machines all at once so it's like that but it's on steroids and so we're we're pushing you know we're we're coordinating and, and validating and pushing that content out. So the same thing that happens on your computer at home, we're just doing it in a really big way with yeah. a tool that coordinates it. But th that's even taking it down like a no another level lower. Yep. Well, and in some ways, I feel like patch is the less exciting thing to talk about, even though it's like so needed by everybody. It's like table stakes. It, it, like if you can't do, handle patches, then you know, how are you even managing the endpoint? But to me, the much more exciting stuff is like installing and configuring new software. It's because, uh, no, you know, uh, really? Uh, sure. <laughs> so, because I hear that. And well, first of all, I, I don't tell people what I do anymore unless they ask. And even then I keep it general. Um, sure. I'll yeah. say something like I saw, you know, I solve business problems. And then if they sure. happen to have one that I can solve, I'll, I will tell them. <laughs> Otherwise, I just kind of kind of let it go. But when I think about installing software today, when I hear the term installing software, I think of a client-facing machine. I, I'm not thinking about a server. Yeah, and, and, and I'm talking to and, someone who I'm trying to convey the non-server-ish part. Don't they want to have control of installing it? Because that seems to be the thing people want today is to have yeah. um, the ability to, to control that themselves because they want to control the experience. And sure... You know, if you're the organization, you want to externalize the, the cost of ownership by maybe, you know, leveraging your user community to install stuff themselves. But really, it's that end user that wants to have control so that they don't get interrupted in the middle of something. Sure, you know, with a, absolutely. You know, restart now. But I, but I also yeah. feel like talking about self-service and why that is valuable to someone who is asking me what I do to them. I, I have to explain. It's like, well, first, I'm going to take away your admin rights. And then I'm going to give you 
abilities back through self-service. You know, first I'm going to take away rights and then I'm going to give them back to you. Or I'm not going to take those rights away from you and I'm going to make your life easier through self-service so that you don't have to figure out how to do these things on your own. I'm going to provide them to you. But you could technically do them on your own if you knew how. So there's kind of two different aspects of self-service that we provide that I agree are way more user-friendly and way more user-focused. But to me, what I think is like the ultimate user-friendly nature of BigFix is where it fixes things for both the user and the company silently and behind the scenes. Like that's where the real magic comes in is when you have like a whole bunch of policy actions that are just open and targeting all of your endpoints and they are automatically finding very specific problems and automatically fixing them. That becomes magical to me. I agree. And that's the, um, that's the paradox of, of great endpoint management is nobody sees you do it. Yeah. (laughs) What's amazing is like when you don't even realize how much it's doing and then you go and investigate and you're like, oh, wow, this has run like hundreds of times and it's been solving problems and preventing tickets and preventing complaints and, you know, making users happier just completely silently. And I wasn't even aware of it until I saw it. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is, and, and sometimes it may even be masking a deeper problem that I also need to go investigate. Like maybe some of these computers that have been having these issues over and over again that Big Fix has been silently solving, maybe they have like a failing hard drive or a failing, you know, RAM or some other subsystem that's going bad that I'm silently absolving when, when maybe I shouldn't be and maybe I need to go figure out if there's a deeper problem. So when you bring that up, I would want to hear you use different use cases because the failing hard drive and the bad RAM, that's kind of yeah. like an old use case, you know? Um, sure. The stuff that's happening, well, really though, the only, I'm, I'm not picking on you. Um, it's just though everything has changed. Yeah. You know? I mean, um, I, I guess that these days, if it was something that seems to be a hardware problem, I would be looking at replacing the computer entirely. Yeah, because it's cheaper or faster to do it that way. Yeah. We don't use on-site techs in so much exactly. anymore. Yeah, or or the end user is going to Apple Care. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or you know, in the Apple case, you, there's nothing to fix anymore. Either it works or it doesn't, and if it doesn't, then you gotta send it in. Yeah. There's almost no yeah. other option available. So do you want to kick this off? And- sure. I mean, I'm probably gonna use some of yeah. what we just talked about, and I'll sure. cut it in somewhere. Hello and welcome to Endpoint Management Today. My name is Rhonda Student Kaiser and I am the Director of Customer Experience for BigFix. And I am James Stewart, BigFix Relevance Expert. With us today is Michelle McGaw, BigFix Product Management Extraordinaire. Well, thanks. Uh, James, it's Michelle McGough, and you've known me for so oh. many years. I'm going to pick on you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. No, no, I love it. Um, so yeah, I've, I'm in product management and this is my dream job. I wanted this job, um, with big fix for a really long time. And, you know, if you ever meet me, uh, again, uh, not on a recording, if we get to meet face to face, I'd love to tell you the whole story because it's, it's awesome. But I've been with big fix for a really long time and 
being able to be in this role to influence the product strategy and to get to talk to customers as part of my job is kind of the best thing ever. So really happy to be here. How many years have you been working with Big Fix? Uh, since 2005. So um, <laughs> a long time. Yeah, and um, some of that time as a customer, some of that time as a consultant, and then some of that time as an employee. So I, I was in professional services, the AVP team, and this is my latest incarnation as an employee. Yep. So you have a lot of perspective on Big Fix from many different sides. Yep. And there are a lot of us in Big Fix that have been with the product for a long time. I'm not, I'm definitely not the most senior by far with, um, with this product. Yeah. All, all of us have worked for customers at one point. Yep. Yeah. So we're here today because uh, I think one question that all three of us are asked often and repeatedly is, uh, what do you do? And, and when you say, you know, you work in some big part of software management or a software development company and they say, Oh, well, what's your product? And we say big fix. And then we try to explain what it does. Sometimes that's really hard to do. So we really want to, to lay out what big fix is and what endpoint management is. Uh, so that our listeners would understand and uh, be able to, you know, get an idea of what they're listening to when they listen to our podcast. So maybe, uh, Michelle, why don't I let you start and you can kind of talk about, you know, what, what you say or what you say when people really push you and say, hey, what's Big Fix? Sure. Um, well, if someone asked me what Big Fix is, my answer is different than if someone asked me, what do I do? And I want to touch on this because I, I think it's important. When people ask, what do you do? I think in a way they're saying that the most valuable thing in our lives is our job title. And I think work is important. We spend you know, a lot of time contributing to work efforts. And so I don't want to diminish what we do here. But if I just said that my job was to you know, work on the big fix product strategy and to talk to customers, that probably you know, wouldn't really capture what it is. And it certainly wouldn't capture what big fix is about. What we're really doing is we're solving business problems with this product, big business problems. And um, when we do that as a vendor, we go out and we encourage people to find new ways to bring value in their own roles. I think sometimes we're mentoring people. You know, we meet junior operators and we're telling them new things, especially you, James. You know, you're meeting people and you're showing them little hacks and things that are going to make them so much better at what they're doing and give them kind of a kind of a jump start into maybe a, a new career where they can level up from, say, an operator to an admin or an engineer. Absolutely. So we're doing so much more. And that's probably a, a whole different podcast on its own. But I, I just wanted to take a minute and just recognize all the things that both of you are doing to contribute to our customer base and also just to your colleagues and how influential you are in this space. And as far as the product, man, I love it. I remember the first time I saw it. I was um, I was in endpoint management. I was using a, a Microsoft product, and I was forced to go to training for Big Fix because the company I worked for was acquired by a different company, and they the different company had Big Fix, and I was mad. I didn't want to go learn something else, <laughs> you know. And uh, but I went to the class, and it just blew me away. You know, endpoint management is is really this practice of finding a way to to repeatedly reproduce consistent standards on devices to keep them secured in compliance with 
rules and regulations to deliver content and applications. I mean, there's so much involved. And, and really what you're doing is you're replacing that kind of old fashioned style of you know, having someone walk up and touch the computer to being able to do it from a central location and, and really make that scale so that the people in your business who are working in IT can focus on, you know, the outliers, the other problems, and all those repeatable things can be automated. You know, so to me, endpoint management is that practice of all of those things, not, not just the repeatables and automating them, but also finding out what else can be repeated and automated and what things really need one-on-one -on -one attention. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great way of talking about it. And, and it also, I think it's that one to many thing too. And, and soften the thing that almost sort of scares a new operator when they say, okay, well, we want you to, you know, go, go create an action to send this patch to these 10,000 systems. And it's like me touching 10,000 systems. That's kind of a really uh, awe inspiring <laughs> moment. The, the power that you have, you know, from the big fix capability, that's, that's really awesome. Um, and it really does allow you to be able to do a lot more. And like you said, allows those, the, the people who need to be going and, you know, doing the, the unique outlier stuff to have the time to go do that instead of worrying about the stuff that you can do easily with one person, you know, with one action and send it all out to, you know, 10,000 systems from one very easy you know, front end console. One of my experiences early on with Big Fix was, you know, I didn't really know how to use Big Fix that well, but someone would report a problem to the help desk and I would go to their computer and try to investigate. And during that time, like they can't use their computer and it's taking up my time to be at their computer. So we're like kind of spending two people's time while I'm investigating and trying to figure out what was going on. And, and, you know, usually I would go find it and then fix it right away. But other times I would be like, okay, I think I found the problem, but I'm not sure and I'm not sure how to fix it. So then I have to go back to my desk and let them go back to work as best they can while having this problem and then go and investigate the the what I think the problem is and what I think the fix is. And then I have to schedule time to like kick them off their computer again and go fix it or do a remote desktop session with them and still take over their machine so they can't work during this time and then try the fix and hopefully the fix works you know and it was kind of like a an arduous process and it would often take like a pretty long time to do and then the first time i used big fix and i saw all the information that was available to me in like the computer summary screen from all of the analyses that were available in big fix and all this information i could gather on the computer i found that i could often find so much information without even touching the computer, without remoting into the computer, without bugging the user at all. And I could start from like an extremely informed position. And then I learned how to write an analysis to actually fi like figure out what was going on in the system in the first place. And then I could do all that remotely without bugging the user. And then I, and then I could write an action to fix that problem. Or, you know, when I've written this analysis to detect the problem, then I would often find I had other users in my big fix environment that had the same problem, the exact same problem that this user is reporting, but only one user is reporting to me the problem, but I'm noticing multiple users have it. And then it's like, okay, now I know the problem. I know many people have it. Let me go fix it for the person that reported it by hand right now. And then when I'm done, I'm going to go back to my desk and I'm going to write a fix lit to fix it for everyone. And I'm going to make that a policy action. And I'm going to put that into my environment and then it's going to fix it for everyone forever. And I just did that 
over and over and over again until I had hundreds of these policy actions. And then what would happen is I would bring a brand new computer into the environment, add it to BigFix, and it would just get fixed and configured and managed completely automatically. And I just kind of organically built up this awesomeness in BigFix that was just doing awesome things behind the scenes. Uh, and sometimes I didn't even realize how much it was fixing until I actually investigated. Yeah, that's amazing. I think a lot of us start from the idea of of patching. And certainly that is one of the, the awesome things about Big Fix. You know, the, you can you can distribute patches and you can control patches and you can stop patches if they're causing problems. And, you know, you can see, you know, how 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 well you're you're doing against, you know, the the number of, of machines you've got to touch. But but there's a lot more that Big Fix does beyond that. Well, I should say the other really cool thing as far as patching goes is that, yes, you can write your own fixlets like the ones you were just talking about, James, that go off and fix things, these these common problems. But there's so much content that you get just directly from Big Fix. You know, the Microsoft patches come to you, the Linux patches come to you, the Mac patches come to you. You don't have to write them. You don't have to think about it. There's somebody who really you know, know, knows how to do that, that's delivering that content to you. But there's a lot more that we do besides patching. And I think Michelle said patching's the least exciting part of Big Fix. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a key part of Big Fix, but it's also... That wasn't me. Oh, yeah. that, <laughs> was James. James. <laughs> that, that was James. I would never yep. say that. It, it can be the most exciting because, you know, if you have a zero day, man, that is the biggest thing going on at that moment, isn't it? Right. But it's like doing the dishes. You have to do it. And sometimes people, you know, treat it like it's a chore. And I suppose it can feel like that to patch devices. But you have to do it. Exactly. Because if you don't do it, if you don't do what happens if you don't do the dishes? I mean, you get flies and ants and roaches <laughs> and rodents, you know, you have to you have to do it. But I think even before we get really deep into patch. You mentioned content, Rhonda, and, and that makes me think about, you know, what is Big Fix? It's three things, right? Uh, there's, sure, it's an endpoint management solution, but what does that mean? You know, what's, what's in the box? You get the strategic automation platform. You get an extensible framework for the big use cases, and we provide some different offerings. You know, we've got a separate offering for inventory. Um, we've got an offering for compliance, and it's got analytics with it. We have Lifecycle, and that also has an analytic solution that comes with it now. And then the ability to manage devices, we've got, the, we've got a client that leverages the native capabilities of the operating system, and it's many operating systems and versions that we support. You know, we're not just a Windows, Mac kind of shop. We, we pretty much do all the things when it comes to OS platforms. And then the agent itself has some capabilities for actions and for querying. It's pretty sophisticated, but also quite simple and lightweight. So, you know, it's not a heavy experience. Um, the end users don't usually see that, you know, or, or feel it um, unless we're delivering something using a native API that that is heavy, like, say, a Microsoft installer might be an example of that. And then out of the box, you get this content. So, you know, to your point, Rhonda, the content, it's continuously delivered and updated, and it's things like patches compliance checklists for you know various regulations uh, regulatory um, you know lines out there 
And then we also have content to simplify some, I would say, common use cases that gets delivered on the regular. So there's a lot that comes out of the box. And I would say, even with patch, the first time you quote unquote open the box, there's a lot going on. Do you remember the first time, (laughs) do you remember the first time you saw all of that content, all those streams of content? Yeah, it can be very overwhelming at times, especially like, am I really supposed to deploy all of this? Some of this is, um, you know, maybe not critical security patches. It's a bit of everything in there. Uh, And I think that's one of the ways that like the modern web UI auto patch system really helps simplify and focus like, oh, these are what I really want to find and and deploy them. It makes that experience seem way less intimidating. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I, I, yeah, I do remember, I do remember going, uh, I don't think I should, no, I'm not sending that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, and and learning how to you know learning how to differentiate the things you want. I mean that that's really because yeah, sending everything just seems like too much, and you don't necessarily realize like oh, not all of this is like security patches. Not all stuff that would be deployed through s- standard you know mechanisms all the time. Right. There's a lot of optional stuff in there too. But and some sometimes you have to be careful. Like some of the stuff is like configuration options like oh set this setting this way because you may need it for this kind of security or patch situation and then the other, then there's also a fix that to set it the opposite way and then you accidentally make both as a policy action and then they're fighting well, each other <laughs> <laughs> careful so. you're gonna scare everybody James. yeah necessarily <laughs> that bad but back when we, yeah. when we first started this and probably for all of us back when we first started using this there wasn't that much enablement content at the time that's true and yeah your success as a new operator kind of relied on who was standing it up and, and how much visibility they had to the environment. And that, I think that's really changed kind of a lot today. And well, everything's changed (laughs) right? Um, today. Things are so different, but you know, I think at the time to your point, I agree. I mean, I remember looking at the console and thinking like, you know, I didn't know what AIX was back then, Um, you know, let alone know that we actually had some in the organization that I was at at the time. Um, I didn't know that. So I really opened up my world to um, the different types of endpoints and what types of, um, vulnerabilities they could have, what types of content the um, the OS vendors were providing. It's a lot. But then beyond patch, there is a lot more to do with it. So I think how we got down this, this patch rabbit hole was, you know, well, it's the least exciting thing. And I think that's because we talk about it all the time. I think everyone, yeah. everywhere we go has some kind of a patch use case or a vulnerability management use case. And since you know, people have started working from home. That's the attack surface is just, you know, increased um, and the stakes are yep. a lot higher. So I think it's getting a lot more attention these days, um, but there's a lot more to do. Yep. You know, once you get everything patched and compliant, then what do you do? There's a, there's a lot to do. And I think that depends on each organization and, and how mature they are with uh, hardware and software inventory, managing that um, and making sure they're getting the best value you know, out of their assets that they, that they own and also securing those assets and making sure those assets, if they're not getting used, making sure they're not sitting out there like a sitting duck, you know, vulnerable. And then we've got the aspect of the whole life cycle of an endpoint. And that's, that's a rabbit hole in itself. 
And then there are kind of specialty use cases, I think, that that could go anywhere depending on the organization. So Rana, did you want to get into like an overall view of endpoint management? Do we want to zoom out again and look at yeah, I, I was just going to say in kind of like a fundamental level, we've talked a lot about Big Fix in terms of like content and capabilities, which is like a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. that Big Fix provides at, out of the box. But at like a really fundamental level, Big Fix is like this extremely flexible platform that you can do almost anything with if you um, yeah. you know invest the time in custom content. And a really core piece of that is Big Fix has the ability to ask questions and get answers to those questions across all of your endpoints. And that's really what I was talking about with like finding a problem, writing an analysis to solve it is to ask those questions across everything, get those answers, see what those answers are and find anomalies, find things you do expect to be there, find things you don't expect to be there and then do something about that either through other mechanisms or by writing your own um fixlets and tasks and actions. And then what I was referring to of like fixing things automatically is Big Fix can automatically run things based upon those answers to those questions. And that's mm-hmm. really the fundamentals of Big Fix at the really low level that all of the content and capabilities that we can talk about are really based upon and really fundamental. And the fact that Big Fix works so well at this fundamental level is how we can build all of these content and capabilities coming from us, all these patch content, all this, you know, inventory, compliance content, all of this stuff really depends on that fundamental basis. But it also means that we're providing anyone those capabilities that are using Big Fix, and they can write their own content to do those same things. Or even better, they can get it from someone else that they've met, you know, in yeah. the community who's done it already. That happens all the time. Absolutely. Uh, where someone solved the problem, and then they have, you know, an analysis, maybe some content to go with it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of content from the community that's shared, mm-hmm. you know, through our forums, through Slack, through uh, Big Fix Me, through the Big Fix GitHub, my personal GitHub, you know, lots of different places that you can find really amazing content and it, more often than not you find that you have a problem but so do many other people have that exact exact same problem. And right. you know, when one person solves it, it Big Fix that's something kind of fundamental about Big Fix is not only does it make it easy to solve that problem, when you know how to write the content in general, then you can apply that to a specific problem. But then Big Fix also, because of the way you fix that problem, makes it relatively easy to share it with anyone and they can just grab it and use it immediately, you know, often without having any like values hard coded in it that they would have to change. They can just immediately put it into play. Right. Because you're asking the same question the same way, no matter which big fix instance, which, which big fix installation you're working in, right? So yeah. my installation, my discovery of Windows is the same as your discovery of Windows. But it's not just that. Like, I, yeah. I, may, I may have a script that fixes something on your computer, and it may need the computer name or the MAC address or you know, some other piece of information to embed in that script in order for it to work. But I don't need to embed that in there. I can have mm-hmm. Big Fix find the answer and stick it in the script for me. So it allows me to create fixes that are flexible and can work anywhere. And that's really powerful. You know, I would find in my environments, like working in uh, education, that, you know, because we didn't have like a central IT structure, some companies have, like you would have a little bit of everything in education. And so Mm -hmm. I would have to write my stuff smarter to be more flexible. And when I did that, I was like, oh, you know what? I bet you anyone in the world could probably use this fixlet 
because I've made it so flexible in the first place because I had to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when that kind of inspired me. Like I need to find a place to share this stuff. Cause I think I'm not the only one that could take advantage of this. And so that, mm-hmm. that's when I started really sharing content publicly as much as I could. Right. The other huge value beyond the fact that our big fix agent, the client that lives on, on the endpoint itself, you know, works on so many different OSs, but it works on endpoints kind of no matter where they are, if they're in the cloud, if they're, you know, in somebody's home office, doesn't happen to guess as much as it used to, but if they're a road warrior and they're in a different hotel in a different town every night, that agent is going to phone home and it's going to find out what, what it needs to find out about that machine, make sure that it gets updated the correct way and report back that that machine is, is covered. And so, you know, as a, as an administrator, you don't have to go off and find all the endpoints. Once you have that agent there, the endpoints, they always call home, which is really just such an amazing capability. I, I, th- I think another piece that people often miss about BigFix and are, are often surprised when I mention it and, you know, user groups and things like that is that the BigFix agent doesn't need to phone home in order to act upon things that either don't require downloads at all or the download is already cached or it's being instructed to download direct. Let's simplify that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So a device that's managed by BigFix does not need to be connected to BigFix in order to stay patched or have a compliance uh, remediation check run. Right. Like that, it stays compliant and it doesn't have to be on the VPN either. Yes. You know, a device can be enrolled. It doesn't have to have a network connection at all. Correct. I mean, you know, it does need to be connected to the internet to get enrolled. Yes. But once it's enrolled, yep. it, you know, it, it will maintain its compliance. It will maintain its yeah. state. And that's really a powerful thing. Yeah. So like a good example is like if you have a policy pushed through Big Fix that says like the screensaver timeout must be 20 minutes or less. If the user changes it to something else, it can change it back all on its own without any network connectivity, without phoning home. It's because it already knows about that action, that policy that you've pushed down to all of your machines. It says this must be the case and it will Mm -hmm. continually enforce that no matter what. Yeah. Disk encryption enabled too. You know, if you, if you bring it to Apple care, you get a new laptop, right? You get your new laptop enrolled. If there's a, you know, policy for all the devices in that group to have the disk encryption enabled, it's going to get enabled. Um, yep. You wouldn't have to go back and reconfigure that device. So yeah. that 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 removes the blind spots effectively too. So no need for VPN, no blind spots. Yeah, so you can mm-hmm. have analyses and answers from all of your different devices mm-hmm. about all these different questions. And the machine may be offline and not connected to the network. And you'll know what those answers were last time it was on. But if you have a bunch of policies that are enforcing those things, you can also be assured that those policies are going to continue to function. So as long as that computer is powered on, it's going to be continue to be enforced. So like that's really powerful and mm-hmm. assuring, I would say. I'm glad you mentioned that because, I mean, we've been doing this for years and years, right? We've been able to mm-hmm. manage devices just on the internet without needing a VPN connection for, I don't even know how long. I mean, as long as I've been using the product, it's been like that. 
but not everybody knows that, you know, we'll go talk yep. to someone who doesn't know anything about big fix and they assume, especially today where people are mostly, at least I would say in, you know, in kind of a commercial enterprise environments, a lot of people are working from home a lot more than before. And we're hearing this, uh, these comments about, well, you know, our VPN is saturated and we don't know what to, yeah. what to do in the meantime. That's coming up a while lot we, right now. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's like mind blowing, you know, we'll say, Hey, well, you, you know, you don't, we don't need a VPN anyway. <laughs> and I say, what? Yep. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and some people talk about like those compliance controls push their big fix. It's like, well, that sounds very similar to group policy. Why wouldn't I just use that? And I was like, well, glad you mentioned that. You can push group policy with big fix, but you know, you, you have group policy enforcing this, but do all of your machines trust the domain? Because they may have been off of the domain for too long. They may have been mm -hmm. at home for too long. And if they've lost that domain trust, then your group policies are no longer applying. Or the other thing that happens is something else goes wrong. You know, not just the, oh, that, that's the other thing I was thinking of. Um, if, if WMI breaks, so sometimes that happens where something goes wrong with WMI. And now if you have group policies being applied with a WMI filter, that's not going to work correctly either. And so there's a lot of cases where um, big fix content can do things with group policy that actually work better than Active Directory group policy because it's not dependent on the domain trust and it's not dependent on WMI filters generally. Yeah, um, that that is a really important point, and I and I think that this new paradigm of well, it's not new anymore; it's been months. But this whole, you know, working from home paradigm has kind of slayed the value proposition of some other products out there that do require a domain, yeah. you know, or they do require leverage WMI really hard. What's happening to those organizations? We've talked to, you know, some of them, but I wonder what's happening to those organizations that are in that situation. How are they adapting? Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear um, more about that. How are they adapting in this environment? Yeah. I've also talked to other operator or other operators where I talk about how they have lots of group policy, and I was like, okay, so I want you to change a group policy on one set of machines. Where would you make that change, and do you know where you would make that change, and how would you make that change? How would you test that machine change, and how long would it take to make that change? And some of them are like, well. I have no idea where I would change that because if I change it in this one area, it might affect like a hundred other things. So I'm, I'm not even sure where the right place to do it is. And if I do change it, it's basically in production right away and it has like a cascading effect that is unpredictable. It doesn't change all machines instantly, but it kind of sort of does in the future and it's it's very unpredictable. Where with BigFix, like you can test the the change that you want to make on just one machine and only that machine, and then you can slowly roll it out to more and more groups, or you could just put it right into production and have it change everywhere. But BigFix is also going to tell you when it made that change and if it made that change. It's going to give you that feedback where you make um, a change in group policy, and you're just like, well, okay, I hope that made a change, <laughs> but I, I, I'm actually not sure. And that's another exercise I give to some people is, okay, so you look at what you think your group policies are based upon different OUs and groups. And then you go look at the actual group policy that's applying to your machines. And can you tell me that they're actually consistent? Um, because that is frequently not the case either. Well, and that brings up the fact that, you know, you have a different place to manage your group policies and you need to have a different place. In a lot of organizations, they have one place to manage their group policies, but they don't have a place where they can do the same equivalent 
to Linux. And they have one place where they can send down patches, but maybe it only works for Windows and it doesn't work for Linux or for Mac. And so they have to use another tool for Linux and another tool for Mac, and then they have to do different configurations and they have there's a multiplicity of solutions that they're using to to get done what you can do within Big Fix with just a single solution, which again just speaks to the flexibility and the the reach of the capability, you know, from a very basic level. Yeah, I mean you're you're basically talking about it really increased cost and complexity of an environment. If you've got multiple solutions to manage little silos of a big, you know, a bigger complex set of devices, that's a lot to handle. And then you still have to report out of all of those and they probably don't report in the same way. And then um, what happens for those teams? If, you know, if you're an operator in IT and you have to do some vulnerability management, and the vulnerability management's coming from another team and they give you a report of all the devices. And now you have to break that up and, and <laughs> look, okay, I'm looking at my Macs in here and I'm looking at, you know, this Linux distro here and looking at windows over here. That's a lot to handle. And so that's another thing about big fix that I think I didn't really, I didn't realize it until I worked in a much more complex environment, how valuable it was to have, the ability to, to view and manage and report all in one product. Even if I wasn't responsible for all of those devices, to be able to get a report that was device-wide was a really powerful thing. Mm-hmm. That was something that was cool when I moved up into the central team at my you know job where I first started using BigFix is the security team and like the software compliance team would come to us with questions like, we don't know, you know, how much of the software is out there. Or we don't know the extent of this vulnerability. Can you give us an idea of, you know, what the scope is? And, you know, we it was interesting because I was in education. There was there's actually like some really interesting sort of um, sort of IT and privacy boundaries that we had that is kind of bizarre when you're like think about it as like the same company. But yeah, we, we, that's something that we would give, you know, the central team's insight on is the broad scope of various things because they're like, oh, well, this is theoretical. Can you tell me if it's real? And I can tell you, oh, yeah, it's absolutely real. Or they'll say like, oh, we think our exposure based upon our, our network scan that happens from like one node on the network, that our exposure is X. And I, and I can say, well, actually, I can see a lot more vulnerability than what you're seeing. And um, it's it, it's worse than that. Um, and t- so, you know, there's there's a lot of insights that I could gather as a whole that a lot of those teams couldn't see themselves without Big Fix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what haven't we told our our listeners about Big Fix that we that we should tell them before we introduce them to our favorite big fixers and to some of our customers and to new functionality as we go along with our podcast in future episodes. I guess this would be a good time to talk about some of our specific product offerings, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure about, was that a question? I didn't really quite. <laughs> yeah, it was a question. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it is a question. I'm not sure how to answer it. I mean, so we've talked about, you know, some specific parts. We've talk, talked about some more broader things, but I, I guess there is like specifics as far as 
what it means as far as big fix patch, big fix lifecycle, inventory, compliance. Like we, we've certainly hit on all of those things, but it would probably be helpful to talk about them in specifics. Yeah, I mean, we can, we can do that. I, I think there are, there are two things that I want to touch on first. One of them is, I think in the process of laying out what you can do with Big Fix and why we love it so much, I think we've also introduced what probably sounds like a lot of complexity and also maybe sounds a little bit vague because, look, you can do anything with Big Fix. I mean, you know, if you're using the agent, you've got root. <laughs> so right. you're only limited by your vision. And I think today, you know, I think there was um there was a statistic it's something like something like 1.8 million there're going to be 1.8 million jobs opening or opened because of a lack of skills in IT infrastructure. 1.8 million jobs in IT infrastructure unfilled due to just you know there are more jobs to manage more things. And, and people just haven't built up the experience yet. And so if someone's brand new to endpoint management and they hear us talking about all of these things, that's probably sounding really you know, overwhelming. And if mm-hmm. someone's mid-career, you know, they probably are understanding a lot of the things that we're talking about, but maybe they're not in a position to call the shots. And so how are they going to level up to that ne- next level? Basically, how do you learn more? And then how do you level up? And I think one of the things you have to do to learn more to get started, I think is really patch is one of the best places to get started in terms of operational skills, but leveling up and having a vision. That's the thing that I see most organizations challenged with. It's not that they don't have the talent to acquire these skills, but they're so busy trying to do more with less. And I think that's where things like this podcast and just, just networking in general which is a little bit harder now because we have to do it virtually, but it, we, it can still be done. Um, yeah. Talking to more people, finding out what's everybody else working on. Yeah. How are they doing it? Those are the types of things that if you're, if, if you feel like you've been in your role for a while and you want to level up from, you know, admin to engineer or engineer to architect, those are the types of things that will get you to that next level is really just talking to other people, finding out how they did a thing and then, you know, bringing it to your organization being more valuable for your own organization. And that's something that, you know, Big Fix can definitely help you with. You just need to get in touch with us. Yeah. Know, interact with us more because we love we love it. I, I will say that that happens a lot just in the Big Fix forum where you have someone who doesn't quite know how to solve the problem with Big Fix, but sometimes doesn't even know quite how to solve the problem at all and is coming to us for help. Like we have Big Fix, we we have this problem. Can you help me solve it? And if they're willing to put in the work and really provide information, provide logs, provide what they've tried, you know, what what has worked, what hasn't, and really show that they're participating in the process, we can take them really far. And like, that's amazing when that happens. Like when you, when you teach someone not just how to do something with, with Big Fix, but how to do it at all, that's really awesome. And that's really powerful. And it happens all the time in the forums. Yep. And there are definitely opportunities in this community for sure. Right. Um, I can think of just off the top of my head, like 12, 12 different organizations, you know, that are, are looking to staff. There's a lot going on out there. So, you know, despite what people's impressions are of what you know, the economy must be like, there, there, there is work out there. There's a lot of it. Yep. And as far as what, you know, what you can do in terms of 
problems to solve with big fix. And we have three, I would say three main offerings. And then we have some, some sub offerings and, and add-ons. Our main offerings are um, big fix inventory, which is used to manage hardware and software assets. And you can do a lot of um, handle a lot of different use cases with that. And then um, we've got big fix lifecycle, which is pretty much what it sounds like. I mean, it's there to manage the life cycle of a device from, you know, finding the device and getting it enrolled uh, through using uh, operating system deployment to, you know, upgrade to the next OS version and everything in between software distribution patch. Of course, we've got a a pretty sophisticated remote control uh, that works very well over complicated networks and also internet to internet. So you don't need to be on the VPN to use our remote control and have a secure session. It's much more secure than the um, the standard OS tools. What am I missing? There's so much in there. Power management. We have uh, server automation. So if you're doing some cluster patching, we've got a way to you know um, take those down and bring those back up gracefully. Awake on land functionality. We do. Actually, we have a, we have a couple of customers that they had to go home and but they were remoting into devices, you know, at the office, and so they're using power management to make sure that those are powered on when they want to use them, and then they shut them down to make sure they're not sitting there. Yeah, that's really powerful. That's kind of cool. Um, so there's so much in that in that uh, product. It's really just a matter of, you know, what do you need to do, and we'll help you figure out how to get it done. And then compliance is that's our other major offering. And it comes with some overlap with lifecycle. So it comes with asset discovery, patch, you know, all that patch content is all out of the box too. And then it's got a series of content feeds for different compliance, I would say definitions like USGCB, DISSYSTIGS, and so on. There are so many different um, content streams. And what they come with is not just a check to see if something is compliant. Those checks are customizable. And um, then they come with remediation content. So if something is, you know, non-compliant, it can be brought back into compliance automatically. So that's a really powerful thing. And then there's something that uh, actually two things that both compliance and lifecycle also have, which is modern client management. And that's the ability to enroll and manage OS 10 and uh, Windows 10. So the Macs and the Windows probably typically laptops, but it will work on any desktop that's eligible. And you can manage those devices using MDM commands. And then lifecycle and compliance also come with big fix insights and are going to contain all of the um, integrations. And the next one that's coming is it's an integration for vulnerability remediation. So we're leading with um, a Qualys integration on that one correlating all of the uh, device records and basically making it really easy to map vulnerabilities out of Qualys to a resolution inside a big fix to make it a lot easier to know, you know, what should I be doing to close these out as quickly as possible? And it'll get you out of spreadsheet land, which I think a lot of folks are still in when it comes to vuln management. And we'll be extending that to um, Tenable really soon. So those are our three main products, uh, inventory, lifecycle, and compliance. We also have a work from home solution. The work from home solution is a curated bundle of other capabilities and it's geared toward organizations that are trying to adapt to working from home. So it comes with modern client management, 
asset discovery, all the patch capabilities, self-service and um, remote control. So, um, you know, across those different offerings, we can solve pretty much any um, IT infrastructure type of business problem. Did we talk about reporting like web reports and really the power of the reporting piece? Because I think maybe that's the thing to finish up with and then we can bring it home. I think that's great. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, we have dashboards in the console that do reporting. We have web reports that does reporting. We have web UI that now has inline reporting. And we now have uh, Big Fix Insights that also does reporting in a different way. But I would say like each one of these tools is, is a bit different in its approach and style and capabilities. You just mentioned web reports. And I would say like web reports and insights have the most flexibility in reporting. But with web reports, you have to know or learn big fix session relevance. And in insights, the idea is that you can do more of that reporting with better known tools uh, like Power BI and Tableau. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess web reports does session relevance. But to me, I mean, I know you can actually do relevance queries, but for me, it was always like a, more like reports. a WYSIWYG. Yeah. yeah it's like, well, you know, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of WYSIWYG stuff yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Right and that. that's what I learned how to, to do. And speaking of learning from other people's mistakes or lack thereof, I learned how to do web reports by using other people's <laughs> reports and making my own from whatever, yeah. you know, this, this one gets me most of the way there. Um, and if I add this and this doesn't, oh, I added that and I get no results. Well, why does that happen? You know, so there was a lot of trial and error, but, you know, as somebody who wasn't a technical person, you know, who really understood, you know, relevance per se, you know, I could read it, but I re- I could never have written it myself. Web reports was always the, almost always the fastest way to get an answer. And I would find myself yes. doing something in the console and I'd be like, well, this is dumb. I need to do this same thing, but I need to do it in web reports because then I can see bigger. Like the aggregated results across yeah. all the machines rather than yeah. it yeah. being like too specific. And you're like, well, that doesn't really answer my question exactly. Right. Especially like building a pie chart for, you know, executive reports or something like that. Web reports gives you that real quick. Right. And, you know, with inventory, you know, they have so many like really super specialized reports, which is is awesome. If you're an inventory person, you know, if you need to do software classification, you need to do this kind of reporting or that kind of reporting. There's so many reports out of the box. And then again, you can you can elaborate on those, add more columns, do whatever you need to do. You know, the 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 process there is, you know, it's it's we've invested in the reporting within inventory to be what inventory specialists need. And then with compliance, I mean, the beauty of compliance is what we're also going to see in insights is that you can see the way the reporting works in compliance is that you can see time-based reporting. So you can say, look at my device. My device has been 100% compliant for this policy from here to here. Oh, it went out of compliance here. That's when we changed the policy and then we changed it to this thing and then it went back into compliance. So the ability to see the compliance over time within the compliance solution is it's really amazing. And especially if you're going to an auditor and you, you know, and there's some thing that you need to be a hundred percent compliant with over time, the ability to see that and to see it graphically and to be able to report on it and to report on it on a specific day 
that's just, it's an amazing capability within the compliance uh, capability. And especially now that we've got CVE type reporting, uh, the common vulnerability uh, index, I don't know what E stands <laughs> for, for some reason. <laughs> yeah. That's a tough one. But the ability to to say, oh, look, this this vulnerability was released here or it became exploited here. And this is how compliant we were, you know, on this date and going forward. Um, and it really gives your your security people a, a good visual approach to the way that compliance flows through your organization. So um, it, it, it's a really interesting you know, capability within reporting. You can tell that I was never the technology person um, yeah, because I think, I, yeah, I was always having to answer some, you know, executive question. Yes, and I absolutely. think that that's, you know, that's a, another beauty of the capability. You know, even me who, you know, I know enough technology to be dangerous with the reporting, I could answer those questions which again was amazing because then I wouldn't have to go to James or I would only go to James if I needed something that was like, super detailed technical, but I could answer my own questions. And so, you know, that's a, a, a functionality within Big Fix that it, it's maybe not talked about as much, but being able to answer those questions, being able to write those reports, being able to, you know, fish for yourself when you're somebody like me, who is, when I started was the person who was determining which patches went out and reporting on compliance and um, supporting zero day discovery kind of things, you know, all of that to be able to do that kind of reporting on my own, to do it the same way every time to be able to show, you know, that that compliance over time, it's, it's a super amazing capability. And it really does allow the right people to do the right things to answer the questions they need to answer. So it's not you know, we, we tend to think of it just from an operational perspective, but that reporting aspect is almost as important or even more important than some of the operational stuff. I mean, they're, they're totally dependent, obviously, but when, when your CIO walks in in the morning and hears about, you know, whatever zero day that just got announced and, and you get an email at like 745 and you walked in the door at eight and he wants to answer by 815. To, to be able to go run that report and say, okay, here we go. Here's where we are. This is what we need to go after. Yeah, it's and super satisfying. That's amazing. Yeah, when yeah. You, when you have that well, answer. Yeah, I've been sitting here like trying to raise my hand because <laughs> before, <I came, laughs> before I came into this role, I was a program manager like you, Rhonda. I, I had a program manager role and I had to participate in quarterly audits. We did internal audits monthly. And then we did quarterly audits using one of the big four auditors. And we did that to show that we were doing all the things that we said we were doing in order to differentiate ourselves. You know, I was working for a different software company and I, I was doing internal IT there. And that that's how we basically grew the business to be really competitive with, you know, some of the other, I would say, you know, Market Street <laughs> um, performers out there. Because we focused so much on compliance, that allowed us to get into, you know, Fortune 500s and then Fortune 100s, where we couldn't have done that. And sitting in the room with an auditor, if you've never done it before, they're really looking for basic stuff. And in Big Fix, it's very easy to prove that you have it. And, you know, if you're doing just a SOC 2 audit, what they want to see is they want to see the definition of the check, you know, the technical definition of the check. So you show them the fixlet. And you show them the analysis, you know, to validate whether or not something is compliant. 
And then you go into web reports and you show the report of all the devices and you show if they went out of compliance at any time. And then when they came back in, and if they're currently out of compliance, you can get the exact date. You go into your ticketing system and you find the ticket for that device and you show that to the auditor. So you don't have anything, you know, again, no blind spots. Mm-hmm. If you're doing something more complex than SOC 2, you're going to need, you know, the compliance product to manage the different types of, of checks in there. But even for something simple, you know, if it's a small company, um, maybe not publicly traded yet, they could do this with Lifecycle. Um, and, and just to yeah. clarify, when you're talking about compliance checks, part of that, like if you're not e- used to like CIS and stuff like that, one example mm-hmm. is, is something I brought up before, which is like making sure that your screensaver lock timeout is yep. you know within a certain threshold. That's an example of a compliance control that compliance provides. Right. Or the, the length of password. Yep, yeah. Password length that the uh, that the screensaver locks and has a password protection on it that you've got full disk encryption. You know, these are the, yeah. Oh, and that there's a, some kind of an antivirus or an anti-malware yep. solution provided. And this definition may have slightly changed since I was last doing it. It's been a few years, but you know, that's a perfect example. There's nothing to be afraid of in an audit with big fix because you know, the hardest thing with an audit is coming up with all of the evidence that the auditor is looking for. And it's right there. And it's not hard to get at that evidence. It's it's very straightforward. And Big Fix keeps track of it for you down to the date and who changed the what and whose machine is it, who's logged in. Everything's there, right? Even if I hadn't looked at it and and you know gotten myself ready for the meeting, which is, you know, good meeting hygiene. Um, <laughs> after, you know, the first couple of them where I knew where my reports were, I mean, I could just walk into them cold and, and get through them. So that's really valuable. It's that peace of mind, along with the actual capability of bringing something into compliance and making sure that it stays there. So that was something that kind of, I don't know if it like confused me or or I, I didn't like fully get it until much later on. But coming from education, like we didn't have a strict security policy guideline that was based on like CIS or does a stig or any of those things that, you know, compliance handles for you or like you know, helps you handle. We we weren't like working off of that, but we had sort of own set of security policies that we were expected to maintain as like a minimum. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that the compliance tool could do that for me because I was like, well, I don't know what CIS is. I don't need to hold to that standard. I We have our own standard. But what I didn't realize is I could take those controls in compliance, grab just the ones that I need, needed for our custom security policy that we needed to have, and, you know, change the level of compliance required by each one of those controls and then implement them as a custom compliance check and do all that through BigFix compliance. And like I had used BigFix compliance, I'd looked at it, I saw the value in it, but I was like, but I'm not using CIS, I'm using something else. Right. Yeah. And, I, and then I, 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 I was missing that connection. And it was only later that I realized like, oh, BigFix compliance does way more and way better than I thought it did. And it was just, it was all right there for me to just grab and I didn't even realize. Yeah, we used it to, uh, you know, we had like fleet basic like we wanted to keep our fleet current uh, on our desktop endpoint. So we used it to, to track compliance of the latest BIOS or the latest graphics driver or, or that kind of thing. So we could, we could not only show, we could show that where we were on compliant, but how 
on compliance, but also how quickly we got there. So that was that was a really slick way of doing it. And so especially in the case where our big fix environment was managed by within the security organization and but the people who managed the fleet were in a, a in an a, a different organization. So we always kind of had to prove that we were doing the right thing. And and that was really nice to be able to just send them that report and say, okay, you know, BIOS XYZ, we we achieved 95% compliance in, you know, five days or whatever. And now we're going after the last five percent. And it was it was just always really nice to be able to have that, you know, as a basis. Well, that's a lot on Big Fix and what Big Fix is and what endpoint management is. And uh, I really hope our listeners found it helpful. <laughs> uh, y- you can tell that we we have a lot of passionate ideas about the product that we support. <laughs> yeah, there's there's For tons sure. more that we could be saying. Absolutely. Uh, but that's why we have the podcast, so that we can dive down deep into some of these uh, capabilities and future podcasts. Uh, you can learn more about the people who would make it happen and uh, what we're able to do with the capability, new functionality we're bringing to the table, uh, like Michelle said about Qualys integration with our insights tool and auto remediation and all kinds of fun stuff to come. So Michelle, thanks for joining us today and helping us to, uh, to tell people what big fix is and what endpoint management is. My pleasure. Yeah. I hope that this will be interesting for those that, already big fix customers, but, you know, hearing us talk about it and, you know, hopefully a different way, but especially for those that are maybe new to big fix, be a helpful introduction. All right. Well, big fix uh, and endpoint management today is uh, our, our podcast on all things big fix. And uh, uh, again, my name is Rhonda Student Kaiser, director of customer experience. And I'm James Stewart, big fix relevance expert. We'll catch you again on endpoint management today.